Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 100. Wow, I can't believe that I've reached 100 episodes of this show. Um, this is Minute 100 of Season 3 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me to finish off this week is David Brooke of Blueprint Review. Welcome to the, I guess you can say, the centennial episode of season three wow excellent a pleasure to to share it with you yeah only only 32 more episodes after today before we wow. uh, move on to season four but you know we'll keep that a surprise what season four will be people will have to wait you have to you have to wait if it's 32 episodes that means we got another six weeks till people uh will will hear you know what we'll hear what we what we've chosen to do for season four so um, yesterday's episode ended with about two seconds of John uh, scooching himself into a room that's, that has like tons of tiles on the walls and stuff like that. So episode 100 begins with John entering the room on his back, clearly in pain, and ends with John asking Al a very personal question. So basically, the you know we we saw John run across the or, or, or we assume that John ran, ran across, you know, this was, this was two days ago. Uh, basically, you know, there was all the glass on the ground and John had to run across it. And here we see him, you know, heaving himself into a room, uh, sliding on his back. And, you know, the minute opens up with him panting and grunting, you know, and he drags himself into this bathroom or what looks like a bathroom. Right. And then at a certain point we see that his left foot, is um dragging and there's lots of blood along the way you know on the floor and there's like tons of newspapers do you notice that there are newspapers on the floor like oh yeah like what are they doing there and you mentioned yesterday actually about funny marks on the walls and yeah you can see it's a really grubby dirty room it's like yeah it's because it's such a modern kind of flashy looking building you kind of wouldn't expect a room like this but i guess they're still renovating sections of it but it looks like some sort of i don't know like garbage like room as well. it's weird it's very strange. yeah but again the floor is tiled you know they have like uh paint chips all over the floor you know and i doubt this all came from the shooting you know this, this must know. be just yeah. like one of the rooms that they're still trying to renovate but you know yeah. later on later on we're going to counter that because there, there are things that work in that room that wouldn't be working if they were yeah. still renovating. So sure. I'm not really sure. But, and then after we see all this, this uh, blood, you know, the, this blood trail move into the room, which it makes you also wonder why Hans and Carl didn't continue pursuing John. You know, <laughs> yeah. they, they stopped shooting. I guess they're in a rush to, uh, I don't know. Mm. No, we, especially if they think that they've, that they've injured him by by shooting yeah. out all this glass so if he's injured that means that you know he should be easier prey and especially carl who you know he has a vendetta against john mm-hmm. you know he it makes it's strange that he would give up so so easily as opposed to you know han says okay we're back in business we have we have the detonator so he could say okay you go back downstairs and take care of that i'm gonna you know i'm gonna now try and find this guy and you know shoot him and especially since you know his his foot is bleeding so profusely it shouldn't be very difficult for them to find him 
Yeah, I was going to say he's leaving a quite handy trail. Yes. <laughs> yes, he definitely is doing that. So I I don't know. That's uh, you, you think that's a uh, a plot hole or just uh, something that they decided to to keep here on purpose in order to uh, you know move the story along. I guess it's just moving the story along. I mean, you, you could argue that he's in a rush to get, to get his things done. And he's, as you, we mentioned in the last uh, last episode, they kind of they're running low on kind of uh, goons <laughs> and kind of terrorists. So uh, uh, maybe they they figure he's injured. He's not going to do much more damage, but they need to get on with what they're doing. And there's only a certain number of them to do it. So they can't be running around wasting time looking for an injured policeman. So. Uh, you could argue that, but yeah, I don't. Right. Know. Okay. It, is, it, is, okay. it does seem kind of, does seem kind of flimsy. Like they could have quite easily just found him and shot him, and yeah. that would be it. But yeah, that's right. <laughs> but then the movie would have ended at 100 minutes, and we wouldn't have made it to the 132 mark. Yeah. yeah Although so. you could say the blood might not have been oozing out straight away, so they might not have been able to pick up the trails instantly. They, they um, it was a, it was a big space. There could have been a couple of different ways he could have gone, perhaps. But yeah. Right. But I mean, the building is not that large, <laughs> you know. I guess. But, yeah. Okay. No, no, that, that's fair. And then the the shot changes, and we see a computer beeping, and uh, it's it's a nice graphic for 1988. They show us there, you know, just flashing on the screen, electromagnetic seal engaged, <laughs> no local access. And what's what's really funny is if you look to the to the right hand side of it. You, know, you see a multicolored uh, ribbon. You know that that's yeah. I guess a, a ribbon that they once used to use in order to connect computers and stuff like that. But if but if you're not really hmm. paying detailed attention to it, it looks like maybe it's a mask. You know, it's a, it's a you know a COVID mask. It looks like that type of size. <laughs> maybe, someone, yeah. just, right, yeah. someone just left a a mask there. You know, Theo Theo <laughs> had to take off his mask. You know, he didn't want he didn't want to get COVID. So. <laughs> It just looks funny the way that uh, the way that yeah 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 I know you mean <laughs> <laughs> the the other graphic which shows you know the 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 all the different locks on the vault with all of these uh, wavy lines around it you know and then it says electromagnetic seal no local access still says the same thing but they 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 have like the all the the wavy lines are like moving back and forth like mm-hmm. showing that a you know that you can really can't get into it, which is it's just very funny visually to look at the way that they did that. And at this point, then we get a shot of Theo who says, Hans, you better heat up that miracle because we just broke through on number six and the electromagnetic came down like a f***ing anvil. And then Hans responds by saying, have a look at what our friends outside are doing and I'll be right up. I like that moment as well. If you look, there's a very brief flash of when they first cut back to hands of him brushing, presumably glass from his suit, which is a nice yeah. little touch. Yes, yes, that's definitely true. So first of all, I, it's a, a strange comparison that Theo would say that he came down like a, an anvil. Like that wouldn't be the first thing that I would think of. <laughs> it has very comic book connotations, I guess. It's uh... yes, it does. Yes, it does. We're we're gonna get there. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> what do you know about anvils? Uh, well, blacksmiths use them, I guess, to to hammer out metal. <laughs> That's about. Uh, and they're used in uh, 
classic cartoons to squash <laughs> evil characters, but yes. they usually come back after being flattened, yes. literally flattened. That's very true. So an anvil is a metalworking tool consisting of a large block of metal, usually forged or cast steel, with a flattened top surface upon which another object is struck or quote unquote worked. Right. So I, first of all, <laughs> it's not something that people normally would think of. You know, that, that's why it's strange that Theo is, is using this, is it? You know, they can be made of stone or bronze, uh, sometimes iron. You know, when, when do you think uh, people started using them? Oh, a long time ago, I imagine. Um... Or let me let me rephrase that. When did people stop using them? Stop using them. Oh, I, I am. I'd, I'd have thought some people might still use them, or something. Right. Similar. So, so there are references to to the use of anvils in Greek Greek and Egyptian writing. You know, even in Homer's works, there there yeah. are some uh, mentions to it. Uh, they they have lost their former former commonness because there are less smiths who use them than than there used to be. In the 19th and very early 20th century, the method of construction evolved to produce extremely high quality anvils, right? Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, at the, the dawn of the 20th, 20th century, when they started using uh, cast steel in order to make anvils, so it, it uh, you know, became something that, that that was less common that people needed to use it, you know, because of the various new methods of what they, uh, you know, of of the type of work that is done. So, you know, the handmade products, you know, by blacksmiths and stuff like that are, are not as economically viable today in the modern world as they used to be. So, you know, it's not re really that ne necessary to have anvils. So uh, as you mentioned, there, there are a lot of different uh, uses of anvils. Uh, most of them we see in uh, TV and film, right? It's, uh, you know, quite often in uh, cartoon gags, the, the, this vid visual metaphor is very common for, you know, uh, Looney Tunes movies or Merry Melody shorts, uh, especially those uh, featuring Wile E. Coyote or the Roadrunner. Um, there are other references from from TV shows where they 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 talk about it. Uh, apparently, in the TV show Gilmore Girls, did you ever watch that? I, I didn't watch it, but I've heard of it. I don't think it right. didn't make much of a splash right. in the UK. Yeah, I, I never really watched it either. But it says apparently one of the main characters tries to have a conversation with someone else about where did all the anvils go. Uh, a reference to their falling out of use on a general scale. Um, there are anvils are, are used quite often in, in books. You know, they're mentioned there, uh, mostly in medieval tales. You know, a lot of times they talk about dwarves being, uh, you know, blacksmiths who use uh, anvils and stuff like that. In, uh, in C.S. Lewis's uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, it's mentioned. Uh, also in uh, The Magician's, the, the the magician's nephew and Prince Caspian. Those are two other books in the series that mention it, yeah. and uh, obviously The Hobbit also mentions it. But uh, now the the thing that surprised me the most is that it's very very common in music, and you are a music person. 
Did you know that they use anvils in in making music? Yes, you do sometimes get that kind of. There's a very specific kind of clang, isn't there? That they do usually use it using music. Oh yeah, I was. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Anvils are used as a percussion instrument. In, uh, in there's a whole bunch of uh, famous musical compositions that it uh, that 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 feature anvils. Now I can mention most of them. Va- I mean, oh. Is it in Wagner? Yeah, okay. Does Wagner use it? I think. Yeah, I kind of want to say Wagner. <laughs> All right. Well, well, I'll go through, and you'll 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 tell me which ones you've heard of. Most of these I haven't even heard of, so it doesn't really make a difference. But you might have. There's uh there's an extended solo for two anvils in uh. Louise Anderson's uh, Dimitri. Dim- Dim- I don't know what that is. Uh, <laughs> in Atterberg Symphony Number no. Five, in the opera Lemacon, Alan Silvestri uses it in the the theme from the Mummy Returns. <laughs> uh, Arnold Bax's Symphony Number no. Three. The the there's a Beatles song. That prominently uses an anvil. Any, oh, any yes. clue what Beatles song? Maxwell's Silver Hammer. There you go. Yeah. Very good. Very good. I never would. I never would have guessed that. I don't think I've ever even heard of that song before. Um, and their their roadie Mal Evans was the one who played the anvil in that. <laughs> then uh, Benjamin Britten's The Burning Fiery Furnace, uh, Copeland's Symphony Number no. Three. In the Matrix, uh, the Matrix by Don Davis, it's used. Uh, Brad Fidel uses it in the Terminator. Now that one, when I think about it, I, can, I was gonna, I, I was gonna I bring that up. That. I was gonna say, I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah, as as I'm as I'm like reading this, I'm saying to myself, hmm, I I can actually hear that in the music from the Terminator. Yeah. Um, the Song of the Lonely Mountain by Neil Finn at the end of uh, The Hobbit: An Unexpected Journey. You have the second suite in F for Military Band by Gustav Holst, which that features it also. Oh, yeah. Um, Nicholas Hopper uses it in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. James Horner uses it in four different uh, themes that that he did. Uh, It's used extensively in Aliens. It's in Flight Flight Plan, The Forgotten, and in Titanic. Uh, Metallica uses it in one of their uh, in one of theirs called uh, uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls Uh, Randy Newman uses it in Toy Story 3 Uh, Antigone by Carl Orff Howard Shore obviously uses it uh, for the Lord of of the Rings uh, trilogy and it's mostly used in the theme for Isengard okay I can actually hear that one also as a, if I'm, you know, when thinking yeah, about yeah, that, yeah. Uh, let's see if there's anything else here that that stands out. No, most of the others are James Gold's. No, and oh, John Williams uses it in in two of his most fam- two of his famous uh, themes. Any idea which ones? Oh, John Williams. Um, I can't think of where he'd be in one of his. Well, I don't know. Apparently it's in, it's in Jaws. Really? Which yeah. I, I actually wow. just saw Jaws last week on the big screen, which was really cool. But I didn't notice any anvils in it. <laughs> no. And it's also in uh, the theme for uh, uh, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Oh, Revenge! Yeah, that, I guess that makes sense. Probably the 
the finale in that kind yeah. of lava planet. Uh, right. Yeah. Ah, that's right. Okay. <clears throat> right. So it says here in practical modern orchestras, it commonly substitute a break drum or other suitable steel structure that is easier to tune than an actual anvil. Although a visibly convincing anvil shaped prop may be shown as desired. <laughs> meaning, meaning they use something else, but uh, they make it look as if they're using an anvil. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's what I got. That's what I got about anvils. <laughs> the, the, well, there's the band called Anvil as well. They made a film about them. Did you, did you ever see that? Uh, no, I don't think so. It was, it's fantastic. It's uh, it's well worth checking out. It's a documentary. Actually, maybe I did. I'm trying. Now that you mentioned that, that's something that. Oh, the film is just called Anvil. It's about a band. Yeah, and. Uh, the band is called Anvil. It's really, really good. It's like a real life Spinal Tap almost. It's uh, you know, I think, that, that's how it was dubbed. I think it's not you, quite, but it. Well, it was it was by uh, it's by Rob Reiner, but a different Rob Reiner. <laughs> it's not the same. It's R O B B. Oh yes, I did see it. Oh yeah, the, the band, the band, yeah, <laughs> which is a big. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually did see it. I, I, the truth is, if I think about it, maybe it's something you even recommended to me to watch. Uh, possibly, <laughs> possibly, it's uh, it is very good. I, I I don't remember. I mean, I saw it a few years ago, but uh, this, that would be really funny if it's something that you you recommended that I should watch. <laughs> it may well be, may well be. <laughs> well, that's that's very funny. Um, yeah, so it's it's a very strange comparison. That uh, no, sorry, it was someone else who suggested it, but but uh, it was uh, Abby uh, Asbitten. She. Uh, she actually uh, recommended it to me back in. I watched it in 2017, so five and a half years ago. I thought. Wow. So yeah. Don't really remember that much about it, but but yeah, but it, it's a very strange comparison for for Theo to be using. You know, the question is whether he's comparing it if he if he's thinking of cartoons. You know, that's why I'm saying it. <laughs> I, that would that's what would instantly come to my mind. I didn't find it that strange, as I say, but. I did, I did, I did watch a lot of cartoons when I was a kid. So I do understand it. Anvils have in the cartoons have a particular kind of speed and power yeah. and kind of dance, just like boof, full stop to them. Right. So I can kind of see it. It's, it's an unusual analogy. Right. But, uh, but yeah, but not, not, not that out. Um, yeah. Not that out. I mean, I like the fact that they cut back to Theo because they're once again reminding us that Theo is still in the mix. You know, he's still working. You know, yeah. every every you know every ten minutes or so, they 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 flip back to him just for like a a few seconds, just to remind us that that Theo is still hard at work. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and as the other uh, uh, as, as the other terrorists begin to you know slowly die away, <laughs> mm. and then uh, you know Hans, as you said, he brushes off his. Uh, his suit as he walks back into Holly's office and he says, well, we'll look at what our friends outside are doing and I'll be right up. So I like the fact that they mentioned that this is on a higher floor, you know, cause, yeah. cause Hans apparently is on the 30th floor where the party is taking place. So, you know, I wonder what floor the, the vault is on because, you know, John theoretically mm. is on the floor above that. So it's somewhere mm. in the middle where he's, where he's hiding out. Yeah, which could actually be seen as quite odd because if you, but by all accounts, by the design of it, that must be a very, very, very heavy thing, kind of a, with all those multiple layers, giant metal doors and stuff like that. And uh, so you kind of would expect it to be at the bottom. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but obviously not. Uh, apparently not. 
and then the, the the shot changes again and we get to see uh uh we hear water running and then we we see john with his head up against a mirror you know breathing very heavily um and you sort of can see his his knee bent so you know he's he's doing something with his with his foot and water you know and then we hear on the radio we hear our good friend uh powell al powell saying hey john john mclean you still with us and he he like takes a few breaths and then he picks up the radio and clicks it and then what, what it, it looks as if he does something in order to keep it turned on you know and and it, i wonder if walkie-talkies have such a thing as opposed to just having to like mm. you know like i i know that when when you you know you go fill up uh you know at the gas pump for for fuel stuff like that so you have that little thing that you can you know flick on in order to let it uh, completely fill up on its own you know that you don't have to stand there and hold it you don't have to hold the, the oh, gun. We, we don't get that in the UK. I wish really? we had that. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's a pain. No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's like... Not in any that I've been oh, to. interesting. Okay. So, yeah, at, at least here in Israel, they have them. And, and from what I remember when I was in the States, I did see that they had them. But, uh, yeah, they did have them uh, when I was in the States recently. And, you know, then, then we see John's finger and we see there's, like, blood all over his, his thumb. You know, so he must have like switched the walkie-talkie into a mode where it'll, where he it'll still he can still talk even though it's not pressed in. But I think the 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 whole design of it is is that in order for you to hear what someone's saying, you have to let go. You know, that's what's a little strange here. I mean, obviously the scene, you know, needs for for it to be an open channel the whole time. You know, so uh, so John then answers, yeah, but all things being equal. I'd rather be in Philadelphia. Hmm. So it, it it's a funny line that he says that, you know, the 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 idea that uh, you know, first of all, Al is calling him. I've brought this up many times, the the fact that, you know, this is a party line. Anyone can hear them. You know, they yeah, it, yeah. it you know, it just it, it drives me nuts that they're having these type of conversations, you know, that anyone can hear the vulnerability of the two of them. You know, and, and if someone's trying to gather information, they would hear the, the water running in the background or maybe they would hear the echo of where he is or something like that. You know, if it was really important to Hans and Carl, they could probably find him a lot easier than, you know, than not. I don't know, but yeah, but we yeah, see we true. see all the different wires, you know, hanging around this, you know, uh, uh, not connected inside, you know, not like behind the wall or anything like that. The glass looks like it has like uh, chalk writing on it and stuff like that, which which tries to show, I guess, that it's brand new. You know, I think I think that's the idea here that this is a room that is still being uh, built, but you know, which is why we saw all the the grime and dirt on the ground and stuff like that. It hasn't yeah. been completed yet, but that still doesn't explain why there are all those newspapers. Haven't figured that out. Well, if you're painting, sometimes you might put the newspaper out of your painting and just do. You think professional painters would be using newspapers as opposed to putting like a drop cloth? Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. Yeah, Nakatomi wanted to skimp a little bit, and they they uh... (laughs) got some cowboys. (laughs) Possibly. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Just it's it's a little strange. 
it is very right. Funny. And then and so he has a funny line, and he says, you know, about that he's rather all things being equal, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. But like, why, why Philadelphia? That's like a strange, you know. You think yeah, he would, he would yeah. say quicker that you know I'd rather be back in New York. Mm. You know, that's the thing. It is a strange one. Yeah. So I know that you're from England, but what what do you know about Philadelphia? Uh, not a great deal, I guess. I, I, not not a lot, to be honest. I know the name. I I know the film Philadelphia. That's about mm-hmm. it. Okay. All right. So let's let's uh, start with the fact that that Philadelphia is the largest city in the uh, Commonwealth or state of Pennsylvania. It is the sixth largest city in the U.S. It's the second largest city in the Northeast megalopolis behind uh, New York and is the 67th largest city in the world. Okay, it was, uh, uh, I guess, founded as a city as opposed to just a town or anything like that in uh, 1854 when they actually set the, the full boundaries of it. And, but it has a, a history that goes back even further. Right. It is the uh, the U.S.'s seventh largest metropolitan region, and it is the world's 35th largest metropolitan region. The area around it has six million, six million residents as of 2020. But the city itself has a population of one point six million people. OK, that makes a little more sense. Yeah. The yeah, yeah. Philadelphia was founded in 1682 by William Penn, who was a English Quaker. Okay, it was uh, it served as the capital of the Pennsylvania colony during the British colonial era era. And in the 18th century, it uh, played a very historic and vital role in uh, U.S. history by the because it was the, the meeting place of the founding fathers. Whose plans and actions in Philadelphia ultimately inspired and resulted in the American Revolution. They had the, the first Continental, Continental Congress there in 1774. The, the city preserved the Liberty Bell, and it hosted the Second Continental Congress, uh, where they actually signed the Declaration of Independence. U.S. Constitution was also ratified in Philadelphia in 1787, and it remained the nation's largest city until 1790, when New York uh, actually surpassed it. But it was the nation's first capital from 1775 till 1776. And then later on, following the American Revolution, it was the capital once again from 1790 to 1800 uh, while they were still building Washington, D.C. Okay, it is a very large uh, industrial center and railway hub. It is also a the home of many U.S. firsts, including they had the first U.S. library in from 1731, the first U.S. hospital in 1751, the first U.S. medical school in 1765, the first university in 1779, the first stock exchange in 1790, the first zoo in 1874, and the first business school in 1881. There are 67 national landmarks in Philadelphia, and it was the first city in 2015 to be named the organ- by the organization named two the Organization of World Heritage Cities. Uh, a lot has happened there. Now, what movies can you think of that, that have taken place in uh, in Philadelphia? Oh, it's one of those places I know the name. I feel like there's loads, but I can't think of any other than Philadelphia. And 
I'm trying to think what else. I'm sure there are, but I can't. Um, none spring to mind. Okay, well, first of all, the biggest one is Rocky. Ah, sure, yeah. Okay, and um, M. Night Sh- Shyamalan. Just about every one of his movies takes place in Philadelphia. So you okay. have, uh, you know, Unbreakable and, uh, you know, and its sequels that took place there. Sixth Sense, both is Bruce Willis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sixth Sense takes place there. Uh, National Treasure takes place there. Um, Twelve Monkeys takes place in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Uh, Invincible. With, was it with Mark Wahlberg takes place there. That's based on a true story. Have obviously, as you mentioned, Philadelphia. The movie Philadelphia takes place there. Shazam takes place there. The Revenge of the Fallen from the Transformers movie takes place there. The Irishman takes place there also. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's there's so many more. Yeah, <laughs> we're not, we, we, we don't have time to go into no. all of them, but uh, you know, because also there there are a lot of movies that that part of it takes place in philadelphia and stuff like that so you know but uh i i think i think we got the uh the the, the big ones I'm, I'm i'm assuming that there's some that i missed and uh you know feel free to uh send me you know comments about uh things that the movies that you think that that uh we missed I I do, uh, I do wonder if the line itself is maybe some kind of pop culture reference that is lost in time, maybe an, an advert, like a tourist advert or something. I don't know. Uh, as you say, it was a, it is a bit of an odd, an odd kind of line. <laughs> meaning saying by I'd rather be in Philadelphia? Yeah, like we said before, rather instead of New York or, or whatever, or the Bahamas or something like that, somewhere more glamorous. I do wonder if there's some reference that um, that we're just not getting because we're um, because actually you you were right yeah ah okay you were right W C Fields said it ah okay <laughs> um apparently it was okay it's <laughs> so W C Fields uh, proposed that on his grave gravestone they would write I'd rather be in Philadelphia <laughs> excellent by implying that Philadelphia would be a slightly preferable to the grave. <laughs> the the joke tapped a vein of critical commentary about the city in the 19th and 20th centuries. Variations of witticisms persisted in popular culture, but did not ultimately find a place on the entertainer's tomb. <laughs> um, Fields often lampooned Philadelphia, the boy from the hometown that he left to follow a career in show business. So, okay, the, you're right. It, it's uh, I, I didn't even think about the fact that it, that it's possible that they were you know, playing on some other, uh, you know, some other phrase by him saying that. So, okay, that works. That works very good. <laughs> um, and then he goes, then uh, John continues talking to Al and says, chalk up two more bad guys. So have you ever heard of the, the phrase before chalk up something? Uh, yes. I don't know where from, but yeah, I've heard, I've, I've heard that phrase before. Okay, so chalking up something means to achieve something such as a victory or to score points in a game. You know, which which I find very interesting that they would mention that here. You know, by by saying that it's like a game. Yeah. You know, by him saying, "Okay, chalk up two more bad guys." You know, by the way he says it, yeah, and then yeah. Al says to him, "Well, the boys down here will be glad to hear that. You know, we got a pool going on you. <laughs> so you know what you know what a betting pool is, right? Yeah, of course, yeah." Right. It's a, a form of gambling. It can be known as a syndicate, a sports lottery, a sweep, or an office pool. Uh, I mean, I, I personally am, am 
familiar with it because we do an Oscar pool every year, yeah. you know, at uh, the Lamb, which is a site that you and I are both uh, connected to. So uh, yeah, but I, but I betting do, pools. Yeah, as I say, I always do a, I always do an Oscar pool with some friend, uh, my brother and a friend of ours. We we each you put like only a small amount of money, like a fiver or something, like ten pounds is the maximum. We always have an Oscar pool too. So now I'm I'm, yeah. I'm very aware. <laughs> right. So, uh, I mean, most people think of, of uh, besides besides what we mentioned about the Oscars, so most people uh, have betting pools about sports, but people will have pools about, uh, you know, about when people will die. Mm. Okay, you have death pools, usually involving well-known individuals, such as celebrities and sports figures, where the participants mm. predict uh, they'll die within a certain period of time. And then you have birth pools also in, in involving individuals picking specific dates in which someone uh, who can either be a celebrity or a friend gives birth. Mm. You know, so th those are some interesting uh, uh, ideas of, of doing that. So the, the concept was actually introduced in England in uh, 1923. And it was known as a toto and was based on football ma match matches. Um, so sports lotteries in England are now mostly known as football pools mm -hmm. and American sports lotteries do not often require contestants to purchase a lottery ticket or make an initial wager. And then in, in Canada, there are hockey pools and in Australia, there are footy tipping. I don't know. I don't really know what that means, <laughs> but well, a lot of people do betting for football, I guess. <laughs> ah, okay. Could be All right. Um, but in, in March. When they have uh, the uh, NCAA men's uh, basketball championships, so there are a lot of March Madness pools. <laughs> they say that there are approximately 58 million Americans who participate in this contest every year. Wow, that's uh. And then you have all the the college bowl games that people uh, you know bet on all the time. And wow, that's uh. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, gambling is huge, huge everywhere, really. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the UK, the football pools, we just we just call them the pools. They're just, uh, yeah, it's, it's still still quite common. Maybe not as common as when I was younger. It used to always be people talking about the pools. Now I guess right. betting's more. There's, right. there's many John, more things you can bet on. It's a bit more complicated, but yeah. That's right. So as John is continuing to to, to talk, he's we see that he's playing around with his foot, and you know, we get to see the bloody foot at some point. Mm -hmm. And we we get to see that that what he's trying to do here is is basically you know pull out some glass from his foot mm. at some point, and you know he's continuing to talk to to, to Al, and he goes, uh, "What kind of odds am I getting?" And Al responds, "You don't want to know." <laughs> and he goes, "Put me down for twenty. I'm good for it." And and then you know Al starts laughing. <laughs> And, you know, he, he, what's funny is, is that he has no clue what John's going through right now. Yeah. You know, he doesn't know how much pain John is in as they're having this conversation. It's, you know, I do love the, um, the kind of the whole, uh, again, going back to my comments about the kind of strength of the characters, but uh, Reginald Vell Johnson is, Sergeant Al Powell, he is he is up there with one of the main characters, and even though he doesn't doesn't he doesn't well until well until the end we'll get to that on another episode, 
but he didn't necessarily do that much until there. But he's kind of always there as this kind of uh, he's the one person that that uh, John can kind of talk to as a friend. And I've heard I can remember in the past people have kind of said that the main the main love story, the kind of main relationship of of Die Hard is not uh, kind of John and Holly. It's John and Al. There is kind of the film is their kind of love story. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It's, okay, it makes sense. Yeah, and it's uh, it, it's kind of th- it spends more time. Th- those guys spend more time talking than uh, John and Holly do, <laughs> and uh, and it's their, their their relationship blossoms in a kind of weird way. Um, it's right. Yeah, which is interesting. True. Yeah, that's definitely very true. And then uh, you know, John says to him, he starts starts the conversation by saying, "Hey, pal." You got flat feet. Now, what what do you know about having flat feet? Uh, is that to do more with is dancing, like being? Um, am I thinking more of two left feet when you're a uh, flat foot? Right, two, two left feet is when when you like trip over yeah, yourself yeah, yeah. all the time. But flat feet is a partial deformity in which the arches of the foot collapse, with the with the entire sole of the foot coming into complete or near complete contact with the ground. Makes okay, sense. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Now, it, uh, it when what it basically means that that uh, is that that people have foot problems and it hurts them more when they're walking. Mm. And so, therefore, the the whole idea is, is that okay, their these their their feet are damaged and they they can't perform certain things, right? So, for instance, uh, you would say that that uh, athletic performances, right? So the the effects of flat feet fall under two categories, which are asymptomatic and symptomatic. Individuals with rigid flat feet tend to exhibit symptoms such as foot and knee tendonitis, and are recommended to consider surgical options when managing symptoms. Individuals with flexible flat generally exhibit asymptomatic effects in response to their flat feet. Okay. Um, uh, being flexible, being flexibly flat-footed, doesn't necessarily impede athletic performance. It's generally assumed, though, by by running professionals, primarily uh, some uh, physical trainers, podiatrists, and shoe manufacturers, that a person with flat feet tends to overpronate in their running form. Okay, so what, and so therefore they don't have a, na- a neutral gait with the way that they would run. With standard running shoes, these prof- these professionals claim a person who overpronates in, in his or her running form may be more susceptible to shin splints, back problems, and tendonitis in the knee. Running in shoes with extra medial support or, or using special shoe inserts uh, may help correct one's running form by reducing pronation and may reduce risk of injury. So basically, if your foot is on the ground the whole time, it's there's the chance that that uh, it's going to hurt a lot and you're going to oh, yeah. cause a lot of problems. So, but when you're dealing with military performance, so studies analyzing the correlation between flat feet and physical injuries in soldiers have been inconclusive, but none suggest that flat feet are an impediment, at least in soldiers who reach the age of military recruitment without prior foot problems. A 2005 study of the Royal Australian Air Force recruits that tracked the recruits over the course of their basic training found that neither flat feet nor high arch feet had any impact on physical capability, injury rates, or bipedal aptitude. Although there have been results, re- there have been results rendered from military trials that have shown those with flat feet to have fewer injuries. Interesting. 
that that's the opposite of what they said before. Yeah. You know that that you have more of a chance of injuries. Um, no current studies have been successful in fully ascertaining the chronic long-term detriments to health that are caused by the overextension and other compensating measures commonly enacted by the body during bipedal movement. Another divergent study of, of uh, 295 soldiers in, in the Israeli Defense Force found that those with high arches had almost four times as many stress fractures as those with lower arches. A later study of 449 uh, U.S. Navy trainees found no significant difference in the in the incidence of stress fractures among sailors and marines with different difficult different arch heights so again it's pretty inconclusive as to whether it's really you know causing any problems or not so as john asked that question the the minute ends and people are going to have to wait until uh monday to to hear the way that uh, conversation continues so is there is there anything else you want to say david about this segment of this, yeah, this minute I think or uh, any the yeah, movie in I'm general talk a little bit more about this minute i think it's quite it's it's quite a, a memorable moment the kind of foot thing i think for me as well i can remember when i was when i was young i was first getting into film i used to get um empire magazine so kind of the most most popular film mm -hmm. magazine in the uk probably was at the time and um and they i can remember them having i used, i always love a good list and they had like a, i think it was the top 100 or top 50 most disturbing scenes in cinema and this was actually in there the kind of foot scene um and i think it's interesting i always find this interesting in in movies how certain types of pain or seeing certain types of things happen to characters in films kind of have more of an impact than others so i mean he's got glass in his feet it 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 hurts it hurts a lot and uh, but yeah, it hurts just thinking uh, about it. But it's 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 always strange <laughs> how something like that has more of an impact. It, that type of scene in the audience, if you watch that in a in a theater, probably most times when you see him pulling the glass out of his toe, you'll get you'll hear people going like oh, like wincing. Whereas whereas in like right. I don't know a horror movie or an action movie where people are getting their heads blown off and getting sh sh like we saw earlier in Die Hard, squibs going off, people getting machine gunned. It doesn't have the same impact. It's just like, yeah, whatever, brrr, mowing them down. But I'm sure getting shot with a machine gun hurts a hell of a lot more than getting a bit of glass in your foot. But it's that relatability, and 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 uh, and this scene shows that really well. It's um, it, it's like uh, people like Home Alone, some of the things in that people standing on nails or whatever, and are standing on Lego or whatever. Like, it's pain that people can relate to is so much more impactful. Some it, it, often anyway. And this is a good example of that. Uh, it also brings, without wanting me to go off on a tangent too much, but it does remind me of a uh, a little something that happened to myself. Uh, because, like, at the start of this scene, you kind of see him. There's that trail of blood, and you might at first think, "Wow, that's a lot, an awful lot of blood," just just for what happened to him. But actually, I can remember once I had um, I had an ingrowing toenail. So I'm going to get a bit gross, sorry, but I, I had an ingrowing toenail, and I got it removed at the doctor's. Um, took it out. And just before I had the operation, I knew I was working. Um, uh, I think I had it in the morning. Uh, but I said to him, I said, because um, I, I didn't really know what to expect from this. I said, look, I'm I'm actually working tomorrow. I'm going to be on going to be on my feet. Um, am I going to be OK to, tomorrow? And he said, and the doctor said, oh, you'll be all right tomorrow. Yeah, you won't, you won't feel too bad tomorrow. So I was like, OK, cool. So I, I kept the work on. Um, and had my toenail removed, and then the next day I was filming. I, I was, what well, I, I didn't really describe to the doctors that was I was filming um, 
it was actually a, an air dis- a big massive air show so it was a huge space and i was on my feet all day like traveling around between different parts of the air force base and filming the shows and things like that and and at first i thought okay i can i can do this um it was a little bit painful but then after about i don't know about an hour or something i was starting to feel a bit funny and <laughs> and also my foot felt wet <laughs> and that's when i i took my shoe oh, off wow. and it was just horrific my my sock was just red it was just soaked with blood it, and it's like i really should not have been moving around uh, so i i can really relate to <laughs> wow. john in this moment as like because it was feet can bleed <laughs> i don't think they can but obviously your blood i guess i don't know it doesn't quite work like this but obviously i guess it's, it's lower down gravity <laughs> i guess your blood gets pumped around it doesn't quite work like that but it was yeah it was it was not pleasant and the rest of the day i I had my foot up and I just stayed in the press area and filmed the planes in the air and stopped running around. Uh, but yeah, yeah, oh, so wow. I can always feel for John <laughs> McClane at that moment with his bleeding feet, even though I didn't have glass shoved in it. It was uh, still pretty great. I'm very <laughs> glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, that's all. That's the only thing I wanted Definitely to say about to that, that. that scene, really. Uh, just how how kind of like wince-inducing that glass moment is. It's uh, yeah. Okay. And it's, that makes oh, sense. sorry, I will add so that. I do just... like how it's, there's a really long setup for that because, um, and this happens quite a few times in the film, there's there's kind of quirky little quirky little jokes or quirky, quirky little things that happen early on in the film that you think are irrelevant just there for comedy, but almost every time like it will come back later. So you have that random guy in the airplane saying, oh, um, when you get off the airplane, do your um, fists with your feet. And, yeah, and, and, fist and John McClane does that, takes his socks off, does the fist with your feet. And you think, oh, it's just a random, silly comment. But that all leads to this scene with the glass and then the glass getting his foot. It's really nicely written in. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right, so the, the script has a few little discrepancies. Not that, not that many major ones, but we're still going to go through them. So it starts off and says, as he passes the camera, we see him dragging... We, we see his dragging foot leaving a trail of blood on the linoleum. And then it says the vault room. Theo and Christoph react, delighted, as they get the message. Sixth lock deactivated. Suddenly a buzzer sounds and the graphic flashes. Electromagnetic seal engaged. Cannot be disarmed at this location. Terminate sequence. Yes, no. And then Theo has his line. It's almost identical, but instead of him saying... Uh, like a f***ing anvil, he just says, like a sledgehammer. And that might have been yeah. uh, something that Clarence Gilliard Jr. Uh, added in himself to, to you know, to make it sound a little more powerful in what he's saying. And then when, when Powell calls John on the CB, he says, Roy, you still with us? He calls him Roy still. He doesn't call him John. And when John responds, he mentions Philadelphia, and then he says, Chalk up two more terrorists, mm. not two more bad guys. And then Powell says, the boys will be glad. We got a pool going on you. And then McLean says through his teeth, yeah, what's the odds? And then Powell says, you don't want to know. Suddenly remembering an N- NYPD course in first aid from 10 years ago, McLean removes the improvised bandage, checks the cut more carefully. And then it says, uh, put me down for 20 anyway. I'm good for it. So what got you off the street, Al? You liked lousy mm. coffee or what? So they don't even mention the yeah. flat feet at this point. So 
it's, you know, I think flat feet works better, especially, you know, with what we'll discuss next week. So that, that, that works well, as part of it too. That works well. Every Friday we have a segment called weekend surprise where I will, uh, surprise my guest by asking a small little question. Now, Die Hard is a movie that has been quite controversial, controversial mm-hmm. ever since it came out. And the biggest controversial question about Die Hard is, is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not? So what do you think, David? Is it or not? And uh, oh, sure. um, it's a difficult one. I must, I must admit, I do occasionally, I've watched it once or twice at Christmas, but purely because I, it, I'll have take any excuse to watch Die Hard. <laughs> but in my heart, I think I would probably say no. I think for me, a Christmas movie is a f- movie that's more specifically about Christmas. It's This is set at Christmas. There's mention of Christmas, but it's not about Christmas. I think for me, a real Christmas movie has to have that kind of stronger connection. Although I guess, I oh, know, but then you could even argue stuff like... Um, christmas carol which you'd think of as an ultimate christmas movie i guess that's not necessarily about christmas but it's about it's about the values maybe of christmas though about yeah i guess and this isn't about the values of christmas i think no yeah i'm gonna stick with that it's controversial because i love die hard and i don't i I, i'm not one of these people who gets angry when people shove it in the best christmas films of all time because any excuse to kind of lavish praise and die hard i'm up for but personally if we're talking christmas films I want to be um, themed around the values of Christmas or about Father Christmas or about Jesus or I don't know, something that is really about Christmas. So I would say no. Right. Okay. That's fair. All right. Great. Do you want to, for the last time, tell people how they can find David Brooke? Yes, they can find my rambling on about world indie classic kind of movies um over at blueprintsreview.co.uk and while you're doing that you go rate review and subscribe on any podcast you might be using to listen to the show finding me is very simple just do a quick search for movie rob minute you can find me on facebook find me on twitter or you can find me on my website movierobminute.com so david thank you very much for joining me this week it's been a lot of fun pleasure. I, I hope you enjoyed yourself uh, as as much as i did this i week. have enjoyed myself thank you for everyone else i will be back on monday with a brand new guest but until then uh as david would say yippee kimosabi yippee kimosabi